CT Real Estate Radio, Chaz Cook and Rob Wallace of the One Team at William Ravis Real Estate, joined today by Brian Skelly from William Ravis Mortgage, the mortgage guru. And we have got a lot to unpack. But first, how are you gentlemen doing? Doing great. Excellent. 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 We've actually got some good news in terms of mortgage rates to bring you 94 Niners out there this week, and as well as see the affordability in some Connecticut towns. So, but before we get into that, I just want to kind of kick this off with an interesting fact, and then I'm going to turn it over to Mr. Brian Skelly so he can tell us because we had the CPI report come out. We saw some inflation numbers. We saw some interest rate changes, but for all but a single day, interest rate spent the entire month of October above 7.5%, topping out at 7.8%. This is a now BAM article, and this quote is from Andy Walden, ICE Vice President of Enterprise Research. So on October 25th, we saw rates hit 7.8%, and then in the beginning of November, we did see them crack that 8% mark, which is, again, the highest in 23 years. We've been talking to you guys about that for the last couple of weeks, but it just continues to hammer the affordability. Right, The situation was already dire, he goes on to say, but recent weeks have seen rates climb to where it now takes nearly 41% of the median monthly income just to make the principal and interest payment needed to purchase the median price home. 41% of the median price income. That is a large number when you factor in everything else that goes into it, right? And we're just talking... Right principal and interest here. That's not taxes. That's not insurance. That's, you know, any of the other variables that we could throw in there, right? Mm -hmm. That payment has risen by $144 over the past 30 days and now sits above $2,500, actually at $2,567 on a median price home uh, for just the principal and interest payments. So keep in mind, this is what we just touched on. That record high payment doesn't include taxes, insurance, or any HOA fees that may be part of the homeowner's monthly expenses. For the last 35 years, which is almost as old as me, not quite, <laughs> uh, the share of income needed to cover principal and interest has averaged below 25%. So we are at a 16% increase, which is making affordability extremely difficult. But the new CPI report came out this week. Rates changed this week and they actually went down brian skelly how much did they go down from that eight percent mark that we were at well they were at eight percent for maybe four weeks ago so i'd say they're down roughly half a percent since then i mean this week the uh the actual drop in the rate was not that much i mean it went down like 0.1 percent but it's more about the trend and the news uh that's going on so if uh, do you want me to get into those some of those numbers is it time? i would love to hear All some right. of those numbers so what do we actually get let's break them down what are the three or four topics we're gonna be covering and then kind of give a little background on how each one can affect mortgage absolutely rates. so first of all i'll do a quick recap on what we talked about last week and then what changed this week with some of the news and then what kind of impact that's going to have on expectations so if you tuned in last week, uh, if you don't know, we do this every Saturday at 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. And uh, tune in, we talk about this. And so last week, uh, it was interesting. We talked about how rates were starting to go down and the, Fe the Federal Reserve Chairman Powell came out and he made a speech and he said, we will not hesitate to raise rates in the future. And his speech actually made rates go back up again a little bit right after he made this speech. It was quite the knee-jerk reaction, yeah. quite so, the knee-jerk. Yeah, so that was, uh, that was, I think on Thursday afternoon, like a week and a half ago, he made that, uh, that speech. 
And so I was talking about that and it was really interesting. An agent, Lee Barr, came up to me on Tuesday morning and he's like, Skelly, what's going on with rates? What do you think they're going to do? And I, you know, I always talk about how I hesitate to predict rates because they change, the news changes so frequently. But I told him this story that, that we had talked about last week on the radio. And I was like, well, you know, rates were going down and the federal chairman made the speech and he stopped them from going down just with this speech. And I told Lee, I was like, hey, I think based on this, it's pretty likely rates will stay in the sevens or the eights for a while. And then like right as he walked away, he was at my desk. I was like, well, let me see if there's any news today. And I think then I was like, holy cow, the CPI numbers were fantastic right. for inflation. And it totally changed my whole opinion. I was like, Lee, come back here. <laughs> Everything I just told you, I, I don't, it's totally changed my mind now. So, so the consumer price yeah. index came in much lower than expected, correct? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So uh, in, in September, the consumer price index, which is the primary measure of inflation, was up 3.7%, which basically means stuff costs 3.7% 3 more than it did the year prior. And we've been waiting for that to go down the year before the, the month before that in August, it was 3.6. So it was like it went from 3.6 to 3.7, which that was from August to September, which is which made rates go up to 8% because inflation was getting worse instead of better. But anyways, the, the news you've all been waiting for, if you haven't heard, the um, most recent October numbers came out and it was 3.2, which was down a lot. Wow. And we've uh, seen some incremental like drops, maybe like 0 0.02, 0 0.04. But to see this kind of number, is, yeah, 0.4 is, is a, is a huge. big drop. I, you know, we've been seeing that that's a big drop. Really, really good news. And, you know, the stock markets rallied. I'm almost surprised mortgage rates haven't gone down more because that's big news. I guess some of that's already built in because they had just gone down recently a few weeks ago. Um, but it's interesting. I'm reading some of the articles and I think the most interesting thing that's happened this week is that people are talking about how if the federal chairman Powell comes out and makes another speech like he did two weeks ago and says, hey, we're going to increase rates in the future, like people are going to not believe him. Like the markets are like, yeah, inflation's going down, like it's time to party, like <laughs> let's celebrate, you so know? So you're kind of hinting at, right? We obviously don't know for sure, but from what we can tell, it's looking like the economy in America is finally saying to Jerome Powell, like enough is enough. Like we're tired of being pushed around in regards to a lot of these rates and we're gonna, we're gonna make this work. For, for now, for now. For now. See, the, the concern is that if everybody celebrates and says, all right, there's, there's going to be no more. I saw several articles. They're like, rate hikes are done. They're not going to hike rates anymore. But Powell's like, no, no, don't say that. We will, we will if we need to. So I don't know. Sometimes it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So if everybody right. celebrates and says, oh, they're not going to hike rates anymore, stock market goes rallies, you know, mortgage rates go down, uh, that could cause inflation to go back up again. And that's what everybody's worried about. So you got to take it with a grain of salt and just know these inflation numbers come out every month. We'll see what they are next month. We'll see what they are the month after that. This month, it was good news. So next month, we'll see. We'll see. You know, my prediction, and I've said this a couple times on the show now, I think we are heading into the holiday season and spending is going to go up. I think inflation is going to follow it. And I do think, just my opinion here, but I do think we will see at least one more rate hike either in December when they meet on the 12th and 13th. Most likely, if not then, they may be nice to us because it is the holidays and they're, you know, seeing that spending go up come January time frame. Yeah, we should probably 
again, my assumption that we will see at least one more rate hike before we see them continually start to go down. But we're going to talk a little bit more about housing market turbulence, affordability, and demand drop when we come back on CT Real Estate Radio on 94.9 News Now and Stimulating Talk. CT Real Estate Radio, Chaz Cook and Rob Wallace of the one team at William Ravis, joined by Brian Skelly, mortgage guru from William Ravis. If you'd like to talk to him about any of your mortgage needs, you can reach out to him at schedulelonappointment.com and set up a time to go through what your options are and how you can put yourself in the best position to be able to afford a home in this competitive market. And right before we went to break, we were talking about the latest CPI report. It looks good. We saw inflation go down. Everything's pointing in the right direction. And as I mentioned going into it, we are heading into the holiday season. So I do expect spending to tick up and potentially see at least one more rate hike. But that hasn't really stopped the housing market here in Connecticut or across the country. You know, we do, we still are experiencing some turbulence. Affordability is at a 35 year low. And we have seen a drop in demand for mortgage applications up until this past week. We were actually up 3%, I believe, Brian. It, yep, it's, it's going up still pretty low because we were at a 27-year low in October, but it, the applications have been increasing recently. And just to kind of recap where we were talking before, so right now for a median-priced home, the principal and interest payment only is over $2,500 for the first time. It actually sits at $2,567, which is an increase. I thought this was a astounding number, an increase of $1,240 94% over the last two years. So we've almost seen a 100% increase on median-priced single-family homes in two years' That's time. Prices wow. have doubled and rates have doubled. Prices have doubled and rates have doubled, right? <laughs> uh, that monthly P&I, uh, principal and interest payment, now takes 40.6% of the median household income after averaging 25% for the past 35 years, making this the least affordable housing market since 1984. But Brian, you're actually seeing something a little different in your world, right? So you saw an uptick in mortgage applications, but you've also seen a shift in mindset. Yeah, the psychology is really interesting. You know, what people think is high and what think people think is low is all relative to what's been recently normal. So for example, when rates were in the threes and they went up to four, I remember I tell people the rate was 4% and they, people would say to me, wow, why is it so high, right? And then... You know, I was looking at a graph before the show and rates have been over 7% since July. So we're getting to the point and, and they actually went over 8% for a little while, short, briefly, and then came back down. So I had a couple clients this week where we were able to get them a rate in the low sevens. The Chapa program, which we talk about all the time, was at 7% this week for Connecticut first-time buyers. And they were thrilled. Like, I like like telling people, hey, rates are in the sevens and people are excited and like, oh, this is great. Rates, you know, that is relatively low to come when they were eight. So um, it's an interesting psychology that people are now, in my, I think, getting used to rates in the sevens and it's actually attractive compared to eight. So well, it's interesting I, how that very, goes. Yeah, it reminds me of when um, Pat Kenny was on the show. This was probably a year ago now, and gas prices had hit like $4. And everyone was still just like spending, 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 right. get, getting gas, getting gas, and gas. And But at first, everyone had that sticker shock. Mm -hmm. And then they're finally like, you know what? I need to go where I need to go. I've been stuck at home for the last couple of years. I need to go to work. I need to do whatever I want. To, I want to enjoy my life. Mm -hmm. So then they just stopped being afraid of that $4. And then they started creeping up near $5. And it's like, well, until we 
pull back and say enough is enough, they're just going to keep accelerating because if you'll pay four for it, then you'll pay five for it and up and up and up. Starting to be the new norm, right? Right, right. You have to adapt and yeah. Yeah, so now we saw people kind of slow down when rates hit eight and they're like, all right, now they're down almost a percent. And they're like, okay, now I yeah. can stomach that because I just got another X amount of dollars in buying power. Right. But I mean, it's interesting. I don't think people have gotten used to the new home prices. I mean, I haven't. I mean, I've been doing mortgages for a long time and and I talked to real estate agents and they're they're still like, wow, I can't believe that this home is going for this much money. And uh it's it's gonna well, that's the thing too. If they keep going up, it's hard to get used to the new prices because they just keep going right. up. Right. You, you, you don't know? have a chance to adjust yeah. to it, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, just to kind of finish up this article, it, one thing that I also thought was interesting here is refinance activity has primarily been a cash out transactions and we talked last week how cash transactions were up to 34 percent um, they were 29 percent last year and up to 34 percent this year so a five percent increase of all cash transactions and we also have talked about how the boomers have taken over the largest buying pool in today's housing market i've talked to a bunch of them and that's exactly what they did when rates were so low they didn't want to get into that hustle and bustle the boomers didn't have to they already owned their homes outright so they waited and then once rates slow down and some of the competition kind of died out, they're like, okay, now I'm just going to take all this equity I have out of my house, go buy the house that I want cash, and then I'll sell my house and make all yeah. that money back. Mm -hmm. And this article really just kind of drives that point home that if you have the equity in your home and you do need to make a move, it might not be a bad time to talk to a mortgage lender about how you can pull that out turn yourself into a cash buyer versus a finance buyer. I know that doesn't help you much, Brian, <laughs> but uh, you know, take advantage of some opportunities you have if you are in a pinch and you do need to make a move fast. Yeah, I think, well, the older buyers tend to be more likely to downsize too. So, you know, if you're going from a, you know, $600,000 house to a $400,000 house, you, you know, you're in a better position. Yeah, exactly. How, uh, what kind of age are you seeing, Rob, for some of the buyers you're working with? Are you are you seeing seeing older buyers or all? a mixed majority older? Yeah, at this point. Yeah, actually, uh, I would say the same. Uh, the last three buyers that I've been introduced to have been over forty, so not mm -hmm. an older buyer, but obviously not your traditional first time buyer. Look too old now, right? I know I'm up <laughs> on that mark too. Um, you know, so we are we are there, but we're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show about the average age of sellers and buyers and renters, and kind of get a little bit deeper into that. Uh, but first, we wanted to talk to you about which Connecticut towns are have the most affordable housing in them this is a ct insider article and rob you want to go ahead and break that down for us yeah great article by ct insider so we're looking at ct homes cities with the most affordable housing connecticut largest city among the communities with the highest percentage of affordable housing in 2022 so this is a 2022 article we don't have 2023 stats yet Hartford, 40.8% of units qualified as affordable. Then we're following New Haven, 33.4%. Wyndham at 27.9%. Groton, 23.1%. And New London is down to 2020, actually 22.8%. Middletown, 22.4%. And Bridgeport, 21.2%. And Waterbury at 21.1%. So that's very interesting. 10% um, target threshold set by the state. Uh, this is the number that I really want to kind of talk about. Right, right, right. Because yeah. so the state has it set where they want at least 10% of the homes in each town. There are 169 towns in the state of Connecticut mm -hmm. to have at least 10% of them be affordable housing. 
wait till you hear the number of towns that are above that 10% mark, and then we'll tell you how many are not. <laughs> so 29 towns and cities. Um, so yeah, we're going to go down to the 29 the out of 169 towns. Wow. Insane. That, that doesn't actually surprise me at all. Yeah. Right. It's absolute madness to think of that though, right? Yeah. So that means that there are 140 towns in the state of Connecticut that do not have at least 10% affordable housing. Well, most of the right. homes in Connecticut are already built. And so there's, it's not, it's not like we live in Texas where you can just clear out a cattle farm and, you know, <laughs> That's true. build hundreds of thousands of houses that are affordable. You know, we, there's, we have zoning and, oh, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> it doesn't, making, surprise, making, doesn't surprise me. Right. Making it easy for buyers. That's something that uh, we mm -hmm. have had a challenge doing here in the state of Connecticut. Yeah. So that was with the most affordable. Now we're going to shoot down to CT with the least affordable housing. So we have among that, we have Lyme at 0.9%, Killingworth 0.7%, Heartland 0.6%, Easton 0.6%, Bethany 0.5%, Reading at 0.4%, Sherman 0.3%, Goshen 0.3%, Weston 0.2%. Goshen, for such a low population, I wouldn't think that they, maybe, maybe it's just well, because of the number of towns that they don't have. I guess, yeah. And when we talk about affordable housing, I mean, it, what that means to me is typically like they build a new condo development and they'll say like a certain percentage of the units in there, you have to make less than a certain amount of income to buy one of those units. And there's like a deed restriction. Right. Is that what we're talking about? So that's a part of it. The okay. other part of it is where does it fall in terms of the median sales price? Mm -hmm. So you're oh, thinking okay. of like a workforce program yeah. where you have to make, you know, so not under... necessarily a restriction on income to buy it, but just right. under the median home price is it? correct okay all right so it's a combination of the mm -hmm. two wow that is concerning yeah finish that off bridgewater 0.1 percent and warren zero percent where is warren connecticut either you guys I know have, i have no idea good Gonna question Google. Uh, i've not done a deal out there yet so i i think There's... it's in the northwest corner here let's just uh see if we can find that real quick um, yeah it's right next to litchfield right next so up in that litchfield hills okay. corner yeah mm -hmm. so warren connecticut does not have a single affordable house no, it looks beautiful zero. i'm google wow. imaging it it's nice and so they, we actually have a map here we're going to obviously uh link this up for anyone listening after the show where they can head over to the uh, one team ct youtube page to go ahead and check out this full article if you want to look specifically at your town and uh, check out those numbers there but it, you know it just goes to show that we really need to focus on building housing that is within that median sales price or close to it you know and i know it is town by town dependent mm -hmm. but looking at the entire state of connecticut with a single family home being around three hundred eighty-five thousand dollars, right can we build a new home for that that's the right. other challenge that we roll into too with things like inflation well, builders need to make money too right. i mean they're not gonna be building these things at a loss unless somebody's subsidizing yeah. it too that means right it's an issue. So here's another, because it talks about our, our town here where our office is. So among towns with at least 20,000 residents, Guilford has the least affordable housing at 2.3%, followed by New Canaan at 2.6%, Newtown at 2.7%, Fairfield at 2.9%, and Ridgefield at 3%. Wow. Overall, Guilford was on that list? Yeah, Fairfield was. Oh, Fairfield. Okay. Yeah. Um, overall, 93 of the state's 169 towns have less than 5% affordable housing. Hmm. So we've got, we've got what, 29 towns in the state with over 10% affordable housing, 93% with 
less than 5% mm -hmm. or 93 towns. And then with less than 5%, 5 affordable. Yeah. Wow. You know, what's always affordable though. When you have Dougie Brown, the tank man, come out to your house and check it out. If you need a new oil tank, the boys and girls over at service station equipment would be happy to help you out. It is a seamless process. He comes over, gets everything done within a day, proper permits. They clean everything up. Your yard will look better than it did before they got there. You may have to buy him lunch, but you can reach out to him at 1-800-801-TANK. Again, that is 1-800-801-TANK for our friends over at Service Station Equipment. And just ask for the tank man, Mr. Dougie Brown himself. He will come over and help you out if you need to get one replaced, if you have an underground one you need to get removed, you name it. They've got you covered. 1-800-801-TANK. All right, when we come back, we are going to be getting inside the minds of some sellers and buyers here based off a Zillow Consumer Trends report on Real Estate Radio 94.9 News Now and Stimulating Talk. Welcome back to CT Real Estate Radio. Chaz Cook and Rob Wallace of the one team at William Ravis Real Estate, your number one team for all of 2022 and transactions closed with over 700 families helped. And we are leading the charge here in 2023 with about six weeks to go now, I guess. Um, no competition in sight yet, but knock on wood, we are going to continue to work hard for our clients, our buyer, sellers, and investors out there to provide them the best possible service we can and to help them win in today's competitive market. And on that note, it is time for the One Team Weekly Rewind. We had one new listing, four under contracts, eight closings and one property came back on the market so if you missed out on it you might have a chance to go in there and snatch that up our one new listing is 1751 south main street in cheshire connecticut this hit the market for three hundred nine thousand dollars, so well below that median sales price of three hundred eighty-five thousand. you've got two bedrooms two baths just over two thousand square feet you've got a pool this house was built in 1937 just under an acre welcome to your dream home this charming two-bedroom two-bath ranch style residence is the perfect canvas for your future now if i was a betting man i would say those boomers that we were talking about they were sitting on all that equity they can go make a cash purchase i think one of them is going to snatch this property up because this is Good ideal name. for like a downsized home you come from a big old mm. 3500 square foot colonial into a 2000 square foot ranch with a pool nice level yard beautiful landscaping cozy fireplace and you've got a lot of natural light so this was brought to us by amber bova congrats amber on that one again that is 1751 south main street in cheshire connecticut for three hundred and nine thousand dollars two bedrooms two baths just over two thousand square feet and we will be giving you an opportunity to go and check that out when we get to the open houses or you can reach out to amber at oneteamct.com to schedule your private showing because this one will not last. It just hit the market yesterday. Let's see if it even lasts through the weekend. Mm -hmm. All right, under contracts, a little bit of a quieter week heading into the holiday week. We had four under contracts, under contracts in Wolcott, Plymouth, East Haven, and Stratford. Eight closings. Congratulations to all of our buyers, sellers, and investors. We had closings in Colchester, Colchester, North Haven, East Hampton, New London, Waterford, Old Lyme, and Guilford, and we did have that one property come back on the market. That was 66 High Street. The residence is over there at 66 High Street, unit number 47. This one was one of the ones that hit for $1,050,000. So buyer got buyer's remorse, I would guess I would say, but that opportunity came back on. So that is one of the lower priced 
uh, units in that beautiful complex. There are only, I believe, 10 left total for the third and final building. They've been working on that for a number of years, and they have broken every record you can imagine for the amenities, for the quality of the craftsmanship. So if you want to check out 66 High Street, unit number 47, you can reach out to Nicole at OneTeamCT.com. All right, open houses. We got two going on today, Saturday, November the 18th, and two going on tomorrow, Sat Sunday, November the 17th. All right. No, I got my dates 19th. right there. 19th and 20th. Here we go. I'm like, got my brain all ripped around here. All right. Going on today, starting right when the show wraps at 12 p.m., going on until 2 p.m., 23 Pier Street in Westerly, Rhode Island. That is right. The one team goes to Rhode Island. So that is Lucy Uhalava, our sales Jedi. She's got a new listing there, 23 Pier Street in Westerly, Rhode Island, going on from 12 to 2 p.m. today. So if you were looking for a spot to maybe head out for a weekend getaway, you can head up there and say hi to Lucy. Also going on today... Uh, from 12 to 2 p.m., right as the show wraps, 12 Old Homestead Lane in Kent, Connecticut. That is a Rod Cross listing. We talked about that one last week. Beautiful property, over six acres, great spot to be. I mean, we talk about Kent and Goshen and Litchfield and all those towns out in that northwest corner. Head up there for yourself. See what it's all about. See what they have going on uh, on this fall. And uh, stop by and see Rod at 12 Old Homestead Lane in Kent, Connecticut, going on from 12 to 2 p.m. today. All right, going on tomorrow, Sunday, 23 Pier Street, another opportunity to head to Westerly, Rhode Island, and say hi to Lucy. That is going on from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m., and another opportunity to go see Rod Cross at 12 Old Homestead Lane in Kent, Connecticut, from 12 to 2 tomorrow. So you can see him today from 12 to 2, or tomorrow from 12 to 2. And oh, by the way, those residences at 66 High Street will be open. All available units will be open tomorrow, Sunday, November the 20th, from 12 to 2 p.m., and that is going to do it for this week's One Team Weekly Rewind, brought to you by Service Station Equipment. Whew. That was like a lot, but not a lot, right? right. Felt like a lot, right? <laughs> yeah, I can tell you've done that Definitely before, yeah. a couple times. Once, yeah. or, once or twice. <laughs> once or twice. Uh, but you know what is also interesting, right? We've been talking about psychology, about how people are hearing rates are like in the low sevens now and not at eight. And they're like, okay. And we talked about gas prices. Well, Zillow just came out with a report on what they are finding and their consumer trends from sellers and buyers and where their thoughts are at. The 2023 Zillow Consumer Housing Trends Report is in with a revealing snapshot of today's seller, including demographics, behavior, and preferences. Uh-oh, preferences. So the typical U.S. seller age, the median age for a U.S. seller is 45 years old older than the median age of renters at 39 and buyers at 40, but younger than the median age for tenured homeowners, 57. So that number right there, that tenured homeowners ties right into what we were talking about with the boomers and all that equity. Right. But Rob, you mentioned you were seeing a little bit of a, a blend, like are you seeing mm -hmm. more 35, 40 year olds in the market? Not as many younger couples in their twenties, uh, more, yeah, more older. I mean, I guess going towards our age, right? <laughs> I'm not 40 yet, but yeah, in the forties, a little bit higher than that. And Brian, how about you? What are you seeing in terms of mortgage applications? Is it typically still that like uh, 25 to 35 buyer? Still range. I mean, I pre-approved a gentleman this week who was in his 80s, previous client of mine. You know, uh, one of the common misconceptions is people say, well, I'm 70 years old. I'm 80 years old. The bank's not going to give me a 30-year mortgage. And uh, that's not true. Uh, one, fair lending laws say that lenders are not allowed to discriminate based on age. But also, there's no rules that you have to pay off your mortgage before you die. I mean, most people don't. So, you know, on average, people keep a loan for seven years. So 
you know, that's okay. You know, and, and also first time home buyers aren't always in their twenties either. I've seen first time buyers in their fifties. And I'm and glad 60s. you brought that up because I get that question a lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was in my mid thirties. Yeah. 2018. I bought my house so five years ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was 36. Yeah, so we see it all. We see, I mean, I did a, I once had a first time home buyer who was a 98 year old veteran. He was a world war II veteran. Wow. Wow. Buying his first house when he was like 98. Um, and you know, he probably lived there for five or 10 years. And then, you know, um, you know, when, when you pass away or if you move out to a nursing home, you know, your family has the option to refinance the mortgage right. or they could sell the property and pay the mortgage off. So, so, uh, if you are an older buyer, don't, you know, we're happy to help all ages by all ages achieve the American goal that. of home ownership. Yeah. So we kind of pivoted. We were talking sellers. We went to buyers. We're going to swing back to sellers now, and we will go back into like the buyer pool a little bit more, but a uh, point I really wanted to point out, a point I really wanted to make was in the Northeast, we have, in Connecticut specifically, we have some of the lowest inventory in the entire country. Mm -hmm. And this stat actually reflects that. So the largest share of U.S. sellers live in the South at 40%, followed by the Midwest, 23%. We've talked a ton about the Midwest, Ohio, Indiana, Kentucky, uh, some of the most affordable places to be. The West, out in the California, you know, Oregon area, you're at 22%. And the Northeast, 15%. Interesting. In terms of sellers across the United States. So we are the lowest there. Our state has the lowest inventory across the state or across the country. Uh, and income, the median annual income for sellers is 95000 to 99000 which is higher than the national median in 2022 of 70784 So a big upswing in terms of what the annual income is for those sellers versus where it was just a year ago. I mean, $25,000 difference in people who are selling. Which is important to remember when you see these national news articles that are talking about what's going on nationally, because there are some pockets of the country where home prices have come down a little mm -hmm. bit and they probably have more supply than we that's do. how like the southwest like that yeah. uh, arizona new mexico area right. they've actually seen their months of supply creep up back towards that four number we're here in the state of connecticut we're still hovering around two 2.1 mm -hmm. uh education nearly half of all u.s sellers right now 49 percent of them have at least a four-year degree which is higher than the 35 percent share of the overall adult population with four plus years of college that ties back into the who is our number one class of sellers, right? Those 57-year-old individuals. 30 years ago, for, actually it would be 40 years ago at this point when they were heading to college, that's what everyone did, right? Graduate right. high school, go to college. Now right. we're in a much different world where you have a, a plethora of opportunities, whether or not you take the four-year traditional route, whether you go to a trade school, whether mm -hmm. you become an entrepreneur, or whether you're just passionate about something and you go out and create an income based off of that. Oh, it costs so, a lot more than it used to, too. A lot more yeah, than it used true. to, yeah. Uh, relationship status. Most sellers are married or in a committed relationship, 70%, while 15% have been married in the past and another 15% never married. Interesting. So a lot of single, never married, not a lot, but 15% of sellers. Uh, the typical home type, the median U.S. seller sold a three-bedroom, two-and-a-half-bathroom, single-family detached house with 2,000 to 3,000 square feet. That's that's the perfect starter home right there. Three beds, two baths. Okay, let's have exactly. some kids. Let's build our life together here. We'll make it uh, our home. Mm -hmm. Sellers buyers, seven of 10 sellers, 70% also buy a home with 54% of those upgrading to a more expensive home, 31% spending less, and 14% spending about the same. So what does all of that mean? We're going to get into that when we come back on CT Real Estate Radio 94.9 News Now and Stimulating Talk.
Welcome back to CT Real Estate Radio. Chaz Cook and Rob Wallace of the one team at William Ravis Real Estate here today with Brian Skelly, mortgage guru of William Ravis Mortgage. We've been talking a lot about rates and CPI reports and inflation and affordability. And if you would like to find out what you can afford in today's market, you can reach out to Brian Skelly at schedulelonappointment.com. He is lucky I was not at poker night because I would have gone after that domain name. <laughs> Byron took it easy on him. But uh, maybe next time I'm going to come after that one. All right, we'll see. So before we hit the break, we were talking about demographics of sellers versus uh, buyers, ages, how long they've been in the home, types of homes they're looking for. And now we just kind of want to bring all of that full circle. And then we're going to tell you guys a couple of uh, weird and wacky real estate facts, maybe even some pertaining to the state of Connecticut. So, But before we get to that, let's finish up wrapping up the Zillow Consumer Report here. Uh, the median seller responding to Zillow's survey reported a final sale price of 300000 in 2023, up from 285000 in 2022. All right. The median seller received two offers on their home, with 19% of all sellers surveyed receiving four offers or more in 2023. Four offers for this year. Rates at 7%. Wow. I, know, I was talking to Alan Spotlow on the team. Uh, he put in two offers this weekend both multiple offer situations. And in one of them, he actually ended up beating out three cash offers. Um, the listing agent wrote him a nice email and said, yours was the cleanest, easiest to read. It was everything was organized in one PDF. And that kind of gave him the leg up. So shout out to Alan for that one. But two properties, one a condo in Deep River, one a house in Madison, both well over four offers on each property and closing out you know, rates at like 7.36. Well, one thing you said before the break I thought was really interesting, which was that 34% of sellers are moving to a less expensive home. So all the time we're talking about the stat that one in three buyers are paying cash right now. And everybody's like, well, where are these cash buyers coming from? I mean, I think that's really interesting that it's about one in three sellers are moving to a less expensive home. Right. Their houses have probably gone up in value a lot since they bought them 10, 15 years ago. And they're downsizing. And that's probably where a lot of the cash buyers are coming from. Right. And if we just go back to that age of 57, right? So think about, let's say you graduated high school, you went to a four-year university, you come out, you're 22, 23, you start your family around 25. So now 22 years later, your kids have gone through the school system, they're mm -hmm. graduating college. And now you're like, oh, do I need 3,000 square feet or can I be okay with 2,000 square feet, like 1751 South Main Street in Cheshire? Amber's new listing there, that beautiful ranch style home, uh, a little extra plug there for her. But you know, like, that's the mindset, right? They've been mm -hmm. there for 25 to 30 years. They've lived in their home, they, you know, they've used it for what they needed it for, so to speak. And now they're looking for something with a little less maintenance, maybe something a little bit smaller. Yeah, so. Small mm -hmm. mortgage, no mortgage, right? Small mortgage, no mortgage. Yeah. Um, so the majority of sellers reported at least one offer that fell through with about half citing issues with money, mortgage or financing as their reasons. Other obstacles included uh, issues from the inspection reports, 30%. Appraisal came back lower than the purchase price, 29%. Buyer could not sell their home, 25%. And other reasons at 9%. So that's always a tricky one right there. The appraisals came back lower than the purchase price, 29% of the time. Now, you do a ton of mortgages, Brian, all over the state of Connecticut and a few other states as well, right? Florida, New Hampshire, Rhode Island? Uh, all my states. Yeah, Rhode Island, uh, Maine, Massachusetts, Connecticut, New York, and Florida are the states I'm licensed in. How often do you run into an appraisal issue? Definitely less than 29%. That number seems really high to me. Really high. Um, I mean, I don't have the exact stat, but I would guess 
probably definitely less than 20% is appraisal coming low. And a lot of times, even if the appraisal does come in low, it doesn't necessarily kill the deal. Um, because a, a lot of folks think just because the appraisal comes in low means you have to come up with a lot of extra money. And that that's kind of a myth as well. I mean, because if your down payment is more than the minimum down payment required, a lot of times you don't have to come up with any extra money. Um, but maybe what's going on there, and this is just thinking on the fly, perhaps folks are using that as a reason to get out of the deal mm -hmm. and that's showing up in the reports. And there could be other reasons that they don't want to buy the property, but at 29% sounds really high to me. I don't, it I, seems exceptionally know. high. Right. And we, you know, we talk about appraisals all the time and how it's the opinion of one person. There should mm -hmm. be more of a, uh, system to it. Um, but for 29%, yeah, that's that, to your point, right? One out of three homes are being bought cash. One out of three sellers is moving to a smaller home. One out of three appraisals is coming back short. Yeah. A lot. I mean, if you're doing 40, 50% down or even 20% down, I mean, most of the time, a low appraisals not going to cause a loan denial. Yeah. Interesting. Not all the time. Talk to your mortgage lender. It's complicated. Well, and again, this is on a national level. Yeah. This is the Zillow consumer, um, report that they put out with, you know, talking about demographics, parts of the country. So again, on a national level in December, once the November numbers hit here in just a couple of weeks, we'll break that down on a well, maybe they're basis. saying that's 29% of deals fell apart. That was the reason. Correct. Is that okay? So we're not saying 29% of all deals are falling apart. We're just saying no. of the small percentage of deals that aren't closing, Correct. those are the percent that are blaming on the appraisal. Okay. All right. So 56% of sellers. Back. That actually sounds yeah. more reasonable now. So, so of the 56% of sellers, 29% of that 56%, they didn't give me an actual number here, uh, have said that it was because of the appraisal. Okay. So we're still. Well, that's important point to clarify, yeah. you know, so it's, it's probably less than 10% that are actually falling apart because of a low appraisal. We're saying of the percentage that fall apart, 29% of those are because of the appraisal, which, yeah, that sounds about yeah. right to me. Actually, I, I agree with that. No, that, that sounds about right. Yeah. And uh, so motivation to move comes down to life events for eight and 10 sellers. Some of the big life events here, I'll just run through them real quick. Change in household or family size. That's 54% of total sellers. Uh, working remotely more often, 41% of total sellers. New job or job transfer, 37% of sellers. Retired, 35%. Got married, divorced, or separated, 34%. Working remotely less often, so that whole back to the office, 34%. Job loss or other involuntary unemployment, 31%. And net oh the net life in, event influence so out of the eight out of ten you are looking at about 80 percent of them are moving for one of those reasons so we will actually link this up on our youtube uh next week when that gets posted but we just kind of wanted to run through what demographics are buying what are they thinking where are they buying and why are they making a move now amongst all the competition amongst the highest higher interest rates and uh now we're going to talk a little bit about 38 weird and wacky real estate facts that are actually true and rob you said number one got you right out of the gates and that's why you sent this article over yeah i mean this is from the close new york requires sellers to disclose that their property is haunted i thought that was that was interesting so they're calling this ghostbuster ruling ghostbusters <laughs> ruling so they do have to disclose if their property is haunted connecticut i didn't ever have to disclose new york that. has so many weird rules so, yeah I, this is the thing I like best about this. So it's probably known as the Ghostbuster ruling, as Rob mentioned. Ghostbusters, by the way, I had no idea it was written by Dan Aykroyd. 
Yeah. And based on his own family's long history of ghost hunting. Exactly. There's a remake coming. Have you seen the previews? With him in the, it, I have. New, so, yeah, new uh, Ghostbusters yeah, movie. New Ghostbusters. Well, I've seen the new movie. I didn't know there's a new there's one. A new, there's a new, new one. one. It's got like a couple of the kids, I think, yeah, from uh, Stranger Things. Yeah. Oh, Dan Aykroyd's in it. And uh, one of the other. Bill original. Murray's in it. Bill Murray. Too. Yeah. I wasn't sure. Yeah. Oh, man. All right. So I'm going to give you, like, I'll get let Skelly guess the state because he doesn't have this article up in front of him. Right, yeah. mm -hmm. What is the most expensive zip code in the United States? Oh, I think I saw it. Is it San Diego? No, I, I was looking for the state. What, in the what, state of it, Connecticut? No, no, no. Just no, in, the, in, the, in the United States. What is the most ex expensive zip code? I'm, uh, it might be Greenwich. Is it Greenwich? Or no, it's in New Mexico. There's a bunch of scientists in New Mexico. <laughs> New Mexico. So that's the yeah. first state you gave me. You gave me San Diego, which is a city. Oh, it's a city. <laughs> right. New Mexico. I'm going to New Mexico. You're going to New Mexico. It is not. It is actually Atherton, California, with a zip uh, code okay. of 94027. I would have gone 90210. Uh, hey, hey. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> I got but, another interesting one. All right, here we go. San Francisco was built on sunken ships. What does that even mean? Now, so during the gold, so during the California gold rush, hopeful prospectors sailed to California from all around the world. Now they use these ships, they repurpose them as jails, houses, and hotels. I thought that was very, very interesting. I would stay in a sunken ship for a hotel. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what else do we got here? In Hong Kong, many buildings skip the fourth floor. All right. Like I've, I've heard of skipping the 13th floor, yeah, right? Hotels. Supposed to be bad luck, right? Yeah. I guess so. Uh, so, yeah, you may already know that some U.S. developers purposely, purposely skipped the 13th floor when planning mid- and high-rise buildings due to the superstition around that supposedly unlucky number. I just want to say, right, I was born on Friday the 13th, so ah, I, I embrace the number 13 it. and all things Friday the 13th. <laughs> Let's be real. Everybody on the 14th floor knows they're really on the 13th floor. Exactly, right? <laughs> the go. psychology of it all, right? I can buy it for $99.99 or at 7.2, but mm -hmm. I can't buy it at 7.6 or for $100, right? Right, yeah. Uh, but Chinese builders often skip the fourth floor due to the belief that the number itself brings bad luck. Transversely, the eighth floor is considered rather lucky and typically goes for a higher price tag. In the in Chinese, the word four sounds similar to the word for death. Hmm. All right. Interesting. All right, I got another interesting one. There's a surprising number, not sure if you knew this, of laws on bathtubs. Oh, my goodness. All right. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny. So legislators seem to really want to restrict the... Uh, what homeowners could do actually with their bathrooms. So they made these. This is crazy... in multiple states too, by the way. Yeah, they made some crazy laws. So it is illegal to put a donkey in a bathtub in Brooklyn, or to keep a gator in your tub in Arkansas. And don't forget keeping your horses in a clawfoot tub. You cannot do in South Carolina. Oh my god! Hold on, it gets it gets better because you may also be surprised to learn that you can't bathe after 10 p.m. in Bequai, Ohio. Wow. And you must be fully clothed to take a bath in Portland, Oregon. I think that kind of defeats the purpose. I mean, I'm I'm no what? expert in that, but uh, at least in most places you can have a bathtub in your house. It's technically still illegal in Virginia. Wow. I would. I mean, that would make sense in like California, where they have like drought problems and stuff. Right? Like Los Angeles, yeah. I could see that. But why in Ohio? I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know. I don't know. That that one just kind of like, <laughs> oh, my God. I don't know how much more time we have, but a secret apartment sits on top of the Eiffel Tower. I thought that was an interesting I did not movie. know I that. I did not know that at all. Um, and another one, do you know why? Hold on. It's a 1,000-square-foot apartment near the top yeah. of the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. 
French what? Aristocats, international VIPs, and even royalty frequently offered Eiffel more than 1,000, equivalent to over 25,000 today for a chance to spend just one night in the most exclusive apartment in France. So I know we took this one a little international on you, but uh -huh. there's a, an apartment, a 1,000-square-foot apartment on the top of the Eiffel Tower. That'd be good Airbnb. Wow, we got time for one more. Here we go. Billionaire Warren Buffett still lives in his modest home in Omaha, Nebraska. He's worth approximately $94 billion. He bought the home in 1958 for $31,500, and it's now valued for over $833,000. Wow. Wow. All right, that is going to do it for us this week. I hope everyone has a wonderful Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to Service Station Equipment, Martin McKinney, and Dougie Braun, the Tank Man, and all the boys and girls over there. Thank you, Cooper. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Rob. Happy Thanksgiving to all you 94 Niners. We will be back next Saturday with a fresh new episode of Real Estate Radio on 94.9 News Now and Stimulating Talk.